Guys, it is great to see you. As always, it's, uh, it's great to be together today if you are, in fact, new. Uh, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome again to Doxa. It's an honor to have you here uh, with us today. But guys, we honestly have a lot of ground to cover today. So I'm going to invite you to grab your Bibles and find your way to Daniel chapter 4. All right. If you are new, you're joining us four weeks into a 12-week study through the great Old Testament book of, of Daniel. And we're kind of taking it chapter by chapter, kind of walking through a portion of human history that really just occurred about 2,600 years ago. So we're talking about 600 years before Jesus Christ entered into human history. And it's occurring in the geographical ro- location that we now call modern day Iraq. All right. And we've been talking about this over the last few weeks. I'm not going to give the recap of, of everything, but here's where we're at going into chapter four. All right. Between chapters three and four, 20-ish years have passed, all right? And for seven of those years, the king of Babylon, all right, King Nebuchadnezzar, stepped away from his throne. That in the midst of, like, the height of his rule, his fortune, his power, his reign, in the midst of all that, for seven years, the great Nebuchadnezzar just kind of disappears. Now, as we get into this, okay, I want you to know it's, it's not like he decided to, to take a sabbatical, okay? He didn't work for Epic, he worked in Babylon, all right? It wasn't his time for like his, his vacation away, but literally, Nebuchadnezzar kind of lost his mind and wandered away. And when I say like he lost his mind, okay, this isn't meaning he's got even more crazy and with the death threats and all that stuff, but he lost his mind in the sense of like, you know, think like tinfoil hat and an RV in the woods, okay? That's where he's at. He's not in a good place. He's in a really tough place for seven years, and he just kind of disappeared. But as we get into chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar has just gotten back for those seven years away. In verse one, he begins with a welcome back speech. He's talking to the entire nation of Babylon. He's talking to all the people of the world. He's, He's trying to get his voice out, and he wants to tell them what happened and where he's been. All right, so Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages, okay? He's trying to get this message out and to tell as many people as possible where he's been. That dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, I'm going to stop there, because if you've been around, does this sound like the Nebuchadnezzar that we've seen in the first three chapters of Daniel? Right? Not at all, right? I mean, he's talking about peace and like the greatness of God, and he's just like, there's a tone to this that just kind of sounds worshipful. This sounds like a totally different guy, right? This doesn't sound like a speech from Nebuchadnezzar, but really like, kind of like the introduction to a Billy Graham crusade, right? He's, he's got a different tone. This is a different guy from the guy that was like cutting off heads and throwing people in furnaces and just making people eunuchs, forcing people into slavery, just doing crazy things making people worship him as God. It's this dramatic shift in Nebuchadnezzar. And so the big question that we have to ask is this. What in the world happened to Nebuchadnezzar? What happened to this man that caused him to make such a drastic shift in his worldview, his view of himself, and his view of God? And here's what I'll tell you. Actually, this is what Nebuchadnezzar will tell you. Look at verse 37. This is how Nebuchadnezzar ends his story here. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And I want you to underline this in your Bible. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Doxa, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. This prideful, egotistical man finally recognized what is repeated four different times in this chapter. If you look at verses 17 and 24 and 32 and 34, right? We see Nebuchadnezzar, here's what he learned. Verse 17, look, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. Nebuchadnezzar learned that God is God and he was not. And chapter 4 is really just Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. It's his story of how his perspective and his life was radically changed from demanding people to worship him as God, from him viewing himself as God, to now he himself worshiping, honoring, looking to the one true God. And what Nebuchadnezzar is going to share, and I think ultimately what God is wanting us to learn, is this. The big idea today is this, is that God is God and we are not. And that might seem... Oh, yeah, totally. I I get that. You grew up in the church. You're a Christian. You get that. I would say, guys, this is something that humanity has struggled with throughout all of history. That we can honor God with our mouth, but in a lot of ways, we, we kind of become the God of our own life. We look at the Bible, we hear the Bible, and then we say, well, I have a different way. I have a better way. And we go our own say. When we do that, we make ourselves our own functional God. But what Nebuchadnezzar learned is that God is God, and he is not. And so I've been asking God the Holy Spirit to just help us to have like soft hearts, like open ears so that we can actually receive this and understand this and apply this to our lives today because this is in fact the beginning of a life with God. But as we consider the historical King Nebuchadnezzar, right, we've, over the last several weeks, we've discovered a very prideful man. He's elevated himself above everyone, including God. He saw himself as supreme his life, all of life, the world just kind of revolved around him and his desires. He did what he wanted, when he wanted, and how he wanted to. He was living as though there was no one above him that he had to answer to. He was a man marked by a lot of pride. Guys, and this is the big issue of chapter 4. And I'll, I'll propose to you that this is honestly the root of the biggest issue in every single one of our lives, which is sin. If you don't know this about yourself, I just want to be kind enough to share this with you guys. We are all prideful in our own unique ways, and we all are prideful with varying degrees of intensity. But the truth is, we're all in fact prideful, and if you're mad at me for calling you prideful, you're probably more prideful than most people here, all right? But we are all in fact prideful, and I want you to know, guys, we can talk about pride and we can be like, oh yeah, pride. It's not something we really think is a big deal, because in our world today, it's kind of elevated as like self-confidence right? But pride is a very dangerous thing, a very serious thing. The respected theologian John Stott, he says that pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. You need to know this. And pride in its origin in practice is really just demonic. That if you're familiar with your Bible, if you look to places like Isaiah chapter 15, we see that Satan was originally an angel created by God and he became very proud He wanted to elevate himself to the place of God, try to overthrow God as God. He lost that battle. He was kicked out of heaven with a host of other angels who did the same thing. This was, in fact, the first sin. And Adam and Eve, while they were in the garden, in his pride, Satan went to them. And he tempted them in their pride. And they sinned. And this is why the world is the way that it is today, where it's just broken. 
And there's pain and there's suffering and there's injustice and there's tears and there's hurts. Because sin has caused all of that. And the root of all sin is pride. I think it was uh, the early church father, the African church father, Augustine, who said that the pride is the mother of all sin. That pride is the root of sin, which leads to all the fruit of all sin in our world. And Doxa, I need to tell you this, God hates it. God hates pride. And as we get into this, I want to share with you just a few scriptures to help us see this, to help you understand how dangerous and how serious pride actually is. All right, take a look at this. Proverbs 6.16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. First on the list, haughty eyes, proud eyes. It's the self-made, self-focused, cocky, arrogant, self-righteous guy that I can so easily be, and so can you. God hates that. Look at Proverbs 8.13. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. Pride and arrogance. Guys, God hates it. And when we're filled with pride, it's the thing that will keep us from God because he actually hates pride. Cannot be in the presence of this. Proverbs 16.5. And honestly, Doctor, this this is terrifying. Just listen to this. Everyone who is arrogant in heart and God knows all of our hearts, is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Our motives, our thoughts, our posture, our tone, our attitudes, if rooted in pride, even if no one sees that part of your life, God sees it and he hates it. It's sin. And it will keep us from God. It will bring us to a fall. And if that happens in your life, some of you have been humbled. It's a very unpleasant thing. Very destructive to our lives. So these, this is a warning. Last one. Again, I just want you to think about this. All right, Pride is so serious. James 4.6 and 1 Peter 5.5 5, both say it this way. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God is God. We are not. And as he sits in his throne in heaven, he's doing two things. He's opposing proud people and he's giving grace to humble people. So people who would rise up in pride, God brings them down. People who humble themselves, he rises up. And we just need to know this, that God actively opposes, he fights against, and he resists proud people. Docs, pride will kill you. It will absolutely kill you. It will kill you in the sense of eternity, because pride is the sin that is most likely to keep you from crying out for a savior because those who think they're well will never look for a doctor. But pride will also kill you presently because in our pride, God is against us. He hates it. And so these are warnings. And honestly, if you believe the Bible to be the word of God, these are intense. They should just cause us to stop and evaluate our life. If you're new, you're like, holy cow, you guys just jumped in the deep end. Yes, listen though, hear me on this. God is also so good. He's so good. He loves us so much that he gives us the story and example of Nebuchadnezzar for us to learn from. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and Romans chapter 15 says that all the things that were written in the past, the former things that he writes about, are actually given to us to instruct us, to help us, so we don't repeat the same mistakes. So we don't sin in the same way.
And so Daniel chapter 4, Doxa, is an absolute gift to us. And God, with his Father's heart of love, is kind of just saying, learn from the page so you don't have to experience it in your life. Learn. My dad used to, I remember one time with talking to my dad. We were standing in front of the, the kitchen stove. I don't even know why. And it was one of those times where the father-son talk. And he's like, I'm worried about you. He's like, there's two types of men in this world. One where you look at him and you tell him that stove is hot and it will burn you and they won't touch it, they'll listen. And there's another type of man that you tell him it's hot, they won't listen, and they'll touch it and get burned, and then they might learn. And he told me, I'm worried that you're the second. This is the father breaking in and saying, this is a big deal. Learn from Nebuchadnezzar's life so you don't have to experience what Nebuchadnezzar did. So let's learn from Nebuchadnezzar's story today. There's five movements that tell Nebuchadnezzar's story. And the first is in verse four, beginning with a dream. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all the flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my head as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and thus said, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth." Let his mind be changed from, from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw in you, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Here's what I want you to see. As God is always trying to get our attention, he's always trying to get our attention. We see this here with Nebuchadnezzar, but this is also true of all of us right now. That he came to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream, but he's coming to you right now through his word. He's always trying to get our attention, to teach us, to encourage us, to convict us, to help us, to change us. But here, Nebuchadnezzar, he's just flourishing in life. If you look back to verse 4, when he mentions his house, 
This is referring to his personal life. And then when he talks about his palace, it's referring to his professional life. And so everything is just in order for Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon is great. He's exceedingly wealthy. He has a harem. He's the most powerful man in the world at the time. He's just living at ease, living the high life. Nebuchadnezzar was in many ways just untouchable. But in the midst of this, he gets this dream. And here's the point. God does many things to get to the people that he created and loves. And at this time, Nebuchadnezzar was secure in his palace and no one could get to him without an invite. And even when people were invited, they were really only invited to share what he wanted to hear. But if you look, while no one could really get to Nebuchadnezzar, God could get to him. He could get to him. And sometimes God uses people to reach people. Other times God uses dreams and visions and angels. And you need to know this about our God, that our God is a supernatural God. And in love, he shows up in our lives in many different ways for many different reasons. And if you look at verse 13, all right, when Nebuchadnezzar talks about the watcher coming in this dream, this is an angel. And angels are just spirit beings that God created that not only worship him and serve him, but an angel is, is a messenger of God. And we're not going to get into today like angelology or anything like that, but we're going to talk about this a lot in the weeks to come as the tail end of this book gets very prophetic in nature, and we're going to see a lot of this. We're going to spend some time, some time talking about angels and the supernatural. So I'm not going to nerd out on that right now, but I will say this. As we learn a lot about angels throughout this book, and I want you to know, if you don't know this, there is a lot more going on in our world than you and I hear and see and think we know. There's a lot going on that we don't even see. That God behind the scenes is doing many things that we're not seeing. And we're going to get into this in the future. All right? And it's going to be so helpful for us. But here, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar gets, it just terrifies him. Right? He, he really doesn't understand it. But as you're, he's reading this or seeing this dream, he knows it's not good because in the ancient Near East, right, the tree was just a, a, a prominent motif in like iconography of the time. And it really just represented a God that brought rule and order into the world. And so for Nebuchadnezzar, all right, this tree, as it was personified in this dream, talking about him and his, he identified with himself with this tree as the one true God. And this troubled him. All right? But being unsure of like what this was actually meaning, he calls the wise men. Now, if you just think about like I don't know why these guys are called the wise men, right? Because they just kind of stand there and they just say, we're very wise, right? And then he asks them, hey, two times. He brings them together and says like, hey, two times, can you help me? No, we can't, but we're very wise, okay, right? They're like politicians, right? They say a lot of things, but don't, no, that's not good, right? <laughs> that's why we have Dr. Tuckness here. He can talk about that at the crash course today, okay? But, but anyways, through the incapability of these wise men, I think God is trying to show us that the wisdom of the world is just futile, and that the only one that can give true understanding of life and the future is God. And I think Nebuchadnezzar was beginning to learn this as he calls Daniel to help. Because this, this is so interesting. Daniel had one thing that Nebuchadnezzar didn't. The Spirit of God. That's verse 8. That Nebuchadnezzar literally had everything except God. And his life shows us that you can have a lot of things in this life. You can be wildly successful, but without God, you actually have nothing. 
You're building a kingdom that will crash down and fail. Without God, you actually have nothing. And you may have very little in this life, but with God, you actually have everything that will go on for eternity. It's all about Jesus who brings us to God through faith. And God is about to teach Nebuchadnezzar this lesson. But let me just ask you this, okay? How is God trying to get your attention right now? Like, are you listening? Are you responding? Or is your pride like hardening your heart and deafening your ears? I mean, has God been convicting you through your time in the Bible? And maybe that for some of you, that's why you don't like to read the Bible, because you don't like to get confronted with the truth of God, because in the pride of your life, you don't want anybody telling you what to do and how you should live. And so you, in fact, say, I'm my own God. I'm not going to read God's word. But have you heard something in like a sermon or someone from your small group that the Holy Spirit just kind of poked at something, shined his light in a dark spot of your life where you're feeling something? And you might not want to address it because you might be like, this is going to change everything. I'm going to have to stop doing something. I'm going to have to rearrange my life and my priorities and my bank account and all this stuff. What is God trying to teach you right now? I think Nebuchadnezzar would tell us, humble yourself and listen to him because it's for our good. So Nebuchadnezzar, he gets this dream He doesn't know exactly what it means. And Daniel, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he helps him to understand by giving him an interpretation, which is the second movement of his testimony. And here's what he says, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, or who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached the heavens, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and which was for food for all under the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of heaven lived. It is you, O king. It is you who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tenderness of the grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High. It's the word of God coming to Nebuchadnezzar which has come upon my Lord the King. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, till you know that God is God and that you are not. And it it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules from the time that you understand that God is God and you are not. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar this dream and he says it's a warning from God. And he says the tree is you. Nebuchadnezzar was represented by this giant tree in the middle of Babylon that was just above everything, going to the heavens. Everything revolved around him. And Daniel tells him, it is you He's like, Nebuchadnezzar, you want to be God? Hey, you've won all the battles. 
You got all the money. You got all the harem. You got all the power. Everything is yours. It's a picture of pride. He's made it all about himself. And Daniel says, because of your great pride, you're going to be chopped down. And what God is saying is that you can build a massive empire, but if it's not part of my kingdom, it's going to get chopped down. And there's something for us to learn. This is not just something isolated to the ancient king, Nebuchadnezzar, in the ancient city of Babylon. There's something for all of us to learn here. Whatever you're building, maybe your life is about building your family, building your career, building a ministry, building personal influence, building a status. You need to know that if they are not for the glory of God, but our own pride and our own fame, they're going to get chopped down. That if it's all about you, where you're constantly talking about my gifts and my abilities and my plans and my goals and my ideas, Doxa, it's pride. Pride is all about me, myself, and I. And pride can be very sneaky in our lives. We might not even see pride in us. But let me just encourage you, this week, slow down and just listen to yourself. Try to hear the way that you talk. Like, are your, are your comments kind of very me-centric? If you're on social media, look back at your past posts, if you dare do that, and just see what those posts say about your view of yourself in this world. Is it all about me? And I'll tell you guys this, I, I've lived like this. And I'm not proud of it, but for the glory of God and the good of someone here, I'll, I'll talk about this and tell you that God will humble you in your pride, and I've experienced this. It was probably about 10 years ago. I was leading a church in Ohio, super healthy, it was growing. I'm loving God, I'm loving people. And what started is kind of just like an insecure guy just in a leadership position, just trying to make it and see people know Jesus turned into a prideful guy that was just trying to make it and to see people meet Jesus. And I remember, much like Nebuchadnezzar, just kind of being in this place where I'm looking over my kingdom. That is a, I mean, how disgusting is that? <laughs> but I'm looking over this church that I'm leading, and it was just pride in me. Where it was like, this happened because of me. Look at all these numbers because of me. We would get asked questions about what we're doing, and I'd be like, well, here's the idea that I had. And I, soon enough, I found myself in a place where just internally, even externally, I, I kind of had the, the, the air of like humble, but internally was just a prideful man, and God humbled me. I remember, guys, almost leaving ministry. I remember laying on the couch crying with my wife. God just like broke me. And the church kept going and it was, it was successful and it was good and it was healthy. But myself, like I was just in a bad spot because God came in and said, this is about you? No, this is about me. And he humbled me. He brought me low. And depression just marked my life. And it was this place of my wife was just terrified of like, what is happening to you? It was the humbling hand of God that was actually the most loving thing that he could have done. And I'll tell you, the, the weird name of Doxa, the reason that Doxa is named Doxa, it means glory. 
And so we can remember that it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. Every time we say the name of our church, Doxa Church, we're reminded that this is not our kingdom. It's God's kingdom. And this is not our church, but this is Jesus' church. It's a humbling position. And we need to constantly be reminded of that because I'm not, I'm a different man, but I'm not a perfect man. I'm still capable of doing the same thing. Pride will lead to a fall. But God, out of love, he will humble you. Nebuchadnezzar learned this here. And this is God's heart for us today. Now, I just want you to see something. Look back. Daniel comes to this king in verse 19. Knowing what this dream means, and he hesitates to give the interpretation, okay? And some scholars will, and commentators will say, well, he hesitated because he was afraid that the king wouldn't like it, and he was afraid that he was going to be killed for it. I don't think this is what Daniel was thinking. I don't think this is why he hesitated. All right, Daniel has faithfully served Nebuchadnezzar for more than 30 years. And he's seen and he's experienced his wickedness and his brutality firsthand. But here's the thing about Daniel. Listen to this. Daniel loved his enemies. He didn't hate Babylon. He didn't hate Nebuchadnezzar. He loved his enemies. He saw the hardship that was going to come to Nebuchadnezzar, and he didn't want that for him. And this is so strange, right? Because we could look at this story of Daniel, and if we put ourselves in Daniel's shoes here, we might be really excited to give this interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar, right? You're thinking like, oh, Nebi, okay, here we go. Let me give you this, right? You're the guy who made me a eunuch. You made me a slave. You destroyed my life. God is coming after you. Praise the Lord. Let's get the band out here. Maybe you'd be tempted to do that. But Daniel loves his enemies. He's like, man, Neb. I don't want this for you. Doctor, does this sound like someone else? The Lord Jesus taught us to love our enemies. And then he showed us what that looks like as his enemies nailed him to a cross and killed him. Some of you might say, as you look at other people that are different than you, that have different perspectives on life, worldviews on life, different gods, and you might have like a sense of like hatred. And you might even think, man, I can't, I can't love that person. Like that would take a miracle for me to actually care about that person and want good for that person. I want you to know that that miracle has a name and it's the Holy Spirit. See, God loved us when we were his enemies and he empowers us to give his love to our enemies. That the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to live like Jesus for the glory of God and the good of others. And I really think that Nebuchadnezzar began to see this over 30 years in the life of Daniel, that he saw that Daniel was different. And Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't necessarily know how to put it, but he says that the Spirit of God is in this man. Let me ask you this. Do people see the Spirit of God in you by the way that you live towards them and love them? That's something that you should talk about in your connection group this week. Do they see that? But one of the ways that Daniel loves Nebuchadnezzar is telling him the hard thing that he needed to hear, but it was covered in love. And he tells him about the dream, but then he goes a step further. And the third movement of Nebuchadnezzar's story is an exhortation. Verse 27, after he interprets the dream, Daniel says this, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may 
perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Guys, this is so interesting. All Nebuchadnezzar asked from Daniel was an interpretation of the dream, but Daniel, out of genuine concern for the future well-being of Nebuchadnezzar, he tries to help him and encourages him to change his ways. And what Daniel is saying is this, is Nebuchadnezzar, God has been very kind to you. He's been very gracious to you. He's given you a lot. He's been very good, but you've been really bad to him. You've dishonored him. You've put him down. And on top of that, you've been really bad to other people. You've violated the whole Old Testament law of bringing justice to the oppressed, and you don't care for poor people. You're taking advantage of people. And he basically says, hey, are you going to humble yourself before God and repent, or are you going to remain prideful and keep doing your own thing? Nebuchadnezzar has a decision to make. Now, do you think Nebuchadnezzar liked hearing this? No way. Right? I mean, I guarantee you he didn't like this. But Daniel shows us that sometimes we have to, in love, say things that people don't like because it's God's decree and God's truth to them. But in love. And I know that there's people in this room right now where right now you're like Nebuchadnezzar here. There's pride in your life. There's sin in your life. And the truth is we're all in the same boat. We all have this problem. And you might know all the right Christian things to say, but your heart is about your glory and your comfort and your plan and your prosperity and your desires and your fame and your recognition. And you really, honestly, if you push, you care very little about God's glory and His plan and His purpose for your life. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, God is breaking in and He's trying to warn you that pride comes before the fall. And with His Father's heart of love, He's warning you with the hope that you would humble yourself, that you would repent of your pride and sin, and that you would trust him. And when we talk about repentance, it's a change of mind saying like, okay, I, I'm believing the wrong things. I know that was wrong. It's like this change of heart acknowledging that I need to change. It's recognizing that God says this is right and good, and we accept it, and we change the way our thinking from another way. What Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar is, hey, Neb." You are a sinner and you need a Savior. And Nebuchadnezzar has a decision to make. Am I going to continue walking in pride or am I going to humble myself before God and go His way? But let me just point out that God is incredibly patient. All right, I mean, He's been warning Nebuchadnezzar for 30 some years. He warns him over and over again to repent of his sin. And God does this to us too. And what happens to people, many people, maybe even some of you in here, you, you think you're getting away with something because nothing is happening. Like maybe you view that God is kind of just like this angry God and whenever you sin, He's going to strike you with a lightning bolt. It doesn't work like that. God is a patient, loving Father. And we're not getting away with anything. God is just being patient with you. And for some of you, I love you enough to tell you you're in a dangerous spot. You might have come here on like Easter. You come here and you hear the gospel message. You hear of your sin and your need for a Savior. You hear of Jesus, the way to God, the only way to God. And you think, man, I haven't accepted Jesus. I haven't put my trust in Him. I haven't given Him my sin. I haven't received His righteousness. But nothing has actually happened yet. The key word is yet. Please hear me on this. God is warning us of our sin 
just like he did with Nebuchadnezzar, and he is waiting patiently. But ultimately, just like Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be a day of judgment and consequences that will come on all of us, and we will all stand before God as king and judge, and we will all give an account of our life. And please just hear me in love say that if you're standing there alone, it is going to be a terrible day for you. Because there is nothing you can do to wash away your sin. But if you've come to, the faith, come to faith in Jesus and He's taken your sin, He stands with you as your advocate and He says, this one is mine. I've taken care of it. They're good. Daniel, out of love and care for Nebuchadnezzar, he urges him to repent, throwing off his sin and to come to God. Please listen to Daniel here. What do you need to throw off? What do you need to throw off? Do you need to come to Jesus today? Don't delay. Our life is about a vapor, a mist. But Jesus is here, he loves you, and he's waiting for you. Now look at verse 28. After this exhortation, Nebuchadnezzar shares what happens next, and it's the discipline of God that comes on his life. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. We see the patience of God again, 12 months. He was walking on the rooftop of his royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is this not Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power, and as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among the men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, for seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know the most high rules the kingdom of men. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from among men, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird claws. God warned and then waits and he waits 12 months and we're seeing Nebuchadnezzar I think it's likely that Nebuchadnezzar he heard the dream from Daniel got a little bit freaked out and was kind of like okay God, I got it I'm going to take care of poor people I'm going to fulfill the law I'm going to change my life and there might have even been a little bit of life change after that because he was freaked out but here's the problem he didn't have heart change the Christian life is not about behavior modification it's about heart transformation you can only white knuckle it for so long you need to be made new at the, the source of nature. And this is what the gospel does. Jesus comes in and he doesn't just take our sin, but he literally makes us new. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. He makes us new. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a changed heart. And after 12 years, he's walking around on the roof of his palace, the most powerful nation in the world. It housed two of the ancient wonders of the world with the hanging gardens of Babylon and the walls of Babylon. And he's saying, look what I have done. And in that moment, God says, enough is enough. And his patience is done. And discipline comes. And Nebuchadnezzar literally loses his mind. He leaves the palace. He goes out to the field. He starts eating grass like cattle. And he's out there for seven years. Seven years. Because you know what this means? Nebuchadnezzar was very stubborn and he was a very slow learner. Any stubborn, slow learners in here? Right? The wives are like, very slow to learn. Let me just tell you guys, the goal is when God breaks in, is for us not to be a stubborn, prideful learner, but a quick, humble repenter. 
Now, a few things to address here. First, if you're skeptical about the Bible, you may look at this and be like, are you guys actually buying this? Like some guy just started eating grass for seven years in this field. I want you to know, because if you look at medical journals today, you'll find disorders called boanthropy or lycanthropy, which literally is a disorder today that people identify themselves with like a beast, a wild field, a cattle, that will make them literally go and behave like that and eat grass. All right, so I'm not going to get into this, but I just want to, I thought that was interesting. That's extra. Good, good for you. All right. Secondarily, as we see this, one might naturally ask, why would God do that? I thought God was good. I thought he was loving. Why would he cause pain on this man? Because here's what I'll tell you. God disciplines those he loves. And sometimes God loves, his love for us feels like the opposite of love. But this is only because we can't see everything that he sees and we can't see all that he's doing. But because God is holy and good, that means we can trust all that he does and allows us to go through because ultimately it's for our good. And this is true of Nebuchadnezzar here. This was not about punitive damage, but it was about loving restoration. That God wanted to change this man and to help this man. And that's why he says, if you look back in verse 23, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and its roots in the earth. Guys, this is the love and the mercy and the grace of God towards Nebuchadnezzar who didn't deserve any of it. God says, I'm going to chop you down, but I'm going to leave your roots and I'm going to protect you with the hope that you would repent and that you would grow again. God wasn't just trying to wipe this guy off the face of the earth. He was trying to humble him and become the man that he's created him to be. And so he leaves the roots. Some of you grew up with dads that were quick to cut you down but never built you up. This is not our heavenly dad. The Father will discipline us. He will chop us down in our pride because it is for our good, but he will leave the roots so that we can grow back and become the men and women he has created us to be. And this leads to the conclusion of this story. It's the restoration. God leaves the stump. He wants it to grow back. Verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar says, his reason came back to him. He, re- he was restored as the king and he continued to reign. And so the big question is, is why is this historical story in the Bible? Doxa, it's to help us live our lives with Nebuchadnezzar's profession in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all of his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Two things in closing. First, what is the tree of your life full of? Is it prideful, bad fruit? Does it need chopped down? Is it like interpersonal pride where you literally view yourself as better than other people? Is it religious pride? That you come in here and say, look, look how good I am. And you look down on people who you see more blatant sin in their lifestyle. Is it intellectual pride? Where you're just unable to learn. That you're not easily edified. But you think you know everything. And you elevate yourself above everyone. Are you trying to be the God of your own little world? 1 Peter 5 encourages us to clothe ourselves in humility. That we can humble ourselves before God humbles us. 
And maybe today is the day that God breaks in and shows you your pride so that you can humble yourself and not have to be humbled like Nebuchadnezzar. And if that's you, let me just tell you this. You don't become humble by focusing on humility. You become humble by focusing on God. It's only seeing the glory of God. It's it's moving from looking down on everybody else in your pride to finally looking up and seeing the glory of God where you see who he is and you recognize your position as under him. You are under him. I am under him. God is God and we are not. Open your Bible and see the glory of God. Get on your knees and confess your sin and your pride. This is the path to humility where God will raise us up. And the second thing I'll say in closing is this. There may be a lingering question for you here, right? Like maybe you're thinking like, is Nebuchadnezzar saved? Like am I gonna see him in heaven? Anybody of you think that? Here's what I'll tell you. Guys, don't worry about Nebuchadnezzar's salvation, worry about your own salvation. Jesus is king and he will judge King Nebuchadnezzar and he will judge the rest of us. And so it's not Neb that we need to worry about. It's ourselves. Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Is Jesus king of your life? Do you know that you have sin in your life? Do you know that you need a savior? Do you know that Jesus is here waiting for you in love? Have you come to him? Jesus needs to be your king. This is why this church exists so that we can tell you that. This is what your life is all about and the invitation for you today is to come to King Jesus and have a new vision for your life that's not about you but it's all about him. And Nebuchadnezzar shows us that no matter how jacked up a person is, no matter how hard a heart a person has, that God is able. And Jesus would love to save your life and take your sin today. Now I do believe, and scholars will differ on this, and you might differ, I do believe that Nebuchadnezzar came to worship God here. And I do think there's a chance, and I don't know for sure, that I will see Neb in heaven. I'm going to be like, dude, tell me that story again. That is crazy. How did the grass taste, bro? Right? He worshiped God. He finally looked up and honored God. And guys, that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to pray, and we're going to look up and worship our Most High God. So Jesus, I love you. God, I thank you for the opportunity to teach this chapter today. And I confess that so often I can be like Nebuchadnezzar. I can be a prideful man that goes my own way. And I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm so thankful for your gospel that even though my sin is great and I wander in so many different directions, that Jesus, you're with me. You have saved me. You have forgiven me. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are empowering me to become more and more like Jesus every day. And I'm not the man that I want to be. I'm not the man I hope to be. But by your grace and your empowerment, I'm not the man I once was. And in that, I rejoice. And Jesus, we just say thank you for your blood, for your life, for your death, for your resurrection, for your spirit upon us. And Holy Spirit, I pray 
that we would take Nebuchadnezzar's story seriously and that you would search our hearts. Show us any grievous way in us and give us courage to quickly repent. Laid at the foot of the cross, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive. So speak to us now. Remind us of the greatness of the gospel and then let us sing.